into 1 Timothy this morning. And as I said, we're going to begin our study of this book together. And I felt it would be good and appropriate to begin it on Father's Day here. And I want to show you why. Preach to the daddies just a little bit. And um, this may not be a typical introduction to a book like maybe, maybe I normally would do. But I just want to give you what's on my heart and kind of show you the lens through which God spoke to my heart through this uh, scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. Look at verse number 1. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 1. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior... The Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to conclude the reading there, just two verses this morning. And I want you to note the phrase that Paul uses to describe Timothy in verse number 2. He calls him my own son in the faith. He said, Timothy is my son in the faith. And so if Timothy is Paul's son in the, faith, in the faith, that would make Paul Timothy's father in the faith. And I want to think about that thought just for a moment this morning. And I want to preach on that, uh, that thought, a father in the faith. A father in the faith. Let's pray and let's ask God to help us as we look at His Word this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to You once again, not out of habit or routine, but Lord, out of uh, desperate necessity. Lord, there will be no preaching done unless You touch the preacher this morning. Lord, I know, Lord, I'm feeble, I'm frail, I'm fragile, I'm faulty, but God, You are faultless and You are anything but feeble and fragile. God, you are strong. And Lord, I pray that you would give me strength to preach this message. Father, I pray that you'd fill me with the Spirit of God and touch, touch me, Lord. And I pray, God, that you'd touch the listener, the congregation, Lord, especially the daddies in our, in our midst today. God, I pray that you'd do a work in their heart. And uh, Lord, we pray that you'd raise up an army of fathers, Lord, that have a backbone and have conviction and, uh, and have a tender heart that loves you more than anything else. Lord, grant it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, do we have any nosy people in here this morning? I don't know if you are. Or how about this? If you know somebody in this building that's nosy, raise your hand. All right. Okay, there we go. I figured we'd get more hands up that way. Well, you're in luck because what we have here is a letter written from one man to another, and we get to read it. Isn't that a blessing? Getting to read somebody else's mail. And that's exactly what we have when we come to 1 Timothy. This is correspondence between Paul and Timothy. In fact, Timothy's a pastor. We call First and Second Timothy and Titus pastoral epistles, as opposed maybe to general epistles that's written to a large group of believers generally, or maybe church epistles that would be written to a specific church or or a specific group of churches. This is a pastoral epistle. It's written to a person, a pastor, somebody that holds that office. And so that's what we're here. These are letters of instruction and letters of encouragement that the Holy Spirit lets us get in on, and we're able to read somebody else's mail. And so you nosy people are, ought to love it. Amen. Just eat it right up. This is uh, somebody else's mail, but it's for us too, and we understand that. And Paul's purpose for writing... 
this letter. Actually, I don't, we don't have to guess. He tells us what it is over in chapter number 3 and verse 14 and 15. He says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest knowest how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so the purpose for which Paul writes this letter is to instruct Timothy uh, to maintain proper behavior in the house of God, to preach proper behavior in the house of God, to maintain proper procedure in the church house. Can I tell you, you know what this tells me? God cares about how we do church. He does. He writes a whole letter that tells us how to do it. God cares about that. So you say, well, it don't matter what you do. Well, it does matter what you do. The Bible tells us if God didn't care, He wouldn't give us such clear, implicit, uh, explicit instructions on how to conduct ourselves in the house of God, how to behave. Listen, I don't have the authority to decide how we do church. You don't have the authority to decide how we do church. We together don't have the authority. We have to follow the Word of God. Now, our church church has a constitution and we have a bylaws. In fact, uh, myself and the deacons, we got together not too long ago and we're working on some revised things and some new things and we gotta, we got to get back together and work some more on it. It's a big process and hopefully by the end of the year we'll have some new ones. But that constitution and bylaws, it is not anywhere close to being anywhere on the same plane category with the Word of God. In fact, what we're trying to do is we're trying to put together a document for our church that, that that's specific but something that reflects the Word of God. God and is in submission to the Word of God. This is our authority for faith and practice. Amen. And God is telling Timothy through the Apostle Paul, this is how you do church. This is how you do it. And so there is a way to do it. There is a proper way to do it. And God does care about it. And so if this is a letter, though, to an, a preacher to another preacher, if this is a letter from an apostle to a pastor, you might think, what in the world does this have to do with me? Preacher, this sounds like something you need, just need to study for yourself and maybe preach to yourself. Oh, I don't think so. Au contraire, mon frere. Amen. This is for all of us. We all need this letter right here. All Scripture is profitable, right? It's given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, instruction, and righteousness. It's all for us right here. Why do we have to study a letter like this? Well, I think first of all, because it reveals the emphasis that God places on the local church. I think I've already mentioned that, but God does care about the local church. He cares about how we do things. Now, contrary to what a lot of people think, in fact, even contrary to a lot of what a church member is saying, in fact, I'll be even more specific, even contrary to what some Walters Grove Baptist Church church members think, uh, Church is important. It ought to have priority. It's up there on the list of things that God is most concerned about. Church matters. And it is important not only to know that God places an emphasis on the local church, but it, it is important to know what God expects of each member in the church. This is what Paul is telling Timothy to preach to his people. You need to know what God expects out of you. I'm glad that God gives us a book to tell us what He expects out of us. Church membership matters. It, member, it, it matters to be, a, to be a, a, a good member of a church. It matters to be a faithful member of a church. It matters to know that God expects something out of you. You can't just blow in and blow out and do your own thing. Listen, God puts demands on our life and expectations on our life. Hey man, I know we ain't swinging from the chandeliers. And by the way, it's just getting worse from here. So if you can find a place to say amen in the introduction, I would do it. All right. 
And then also it talks about qualifications for the pastor. This is instructions to the pastor that he ought to, what he ought to do in the church, how he ought to preach, what he ought to say, what he ought to, what ought to encourage the people to do. And so it is important that the church members, the members of a church, have biblical expectations for your pastor. You need to know what God tells the pastor to do in the church. And I'm going to tell you why we got a bunch of clowns in the pulpit is that is because we got a bunch of clowns in the pew. They never get up here in the pulpit unless people out there vote them in. Amen. We got a bunch of weirdos and wackos up in the pulpit. I don't feel like I'm one of those. I might be blinded to that just a little bit. But the reason we got such wackos in the pulpit is because we got, we got biblically illiterate, ignorant people sitting in the pews. They don't know what God requires out of a pastor. And so they'll just put Bozo the Clown up, put his name on the church sign. God help us. We're in a mess. We're in a mess. You need to know what God expects out of a pastor. Amen. It's good for me that you know that. I think a lot of preachers try to keep their people ignorant because they don't want to be held to Bible standards and Bible accountability. So you need to know these things. We find that the author, of course, is Paul. With almost all biblical letters, he puts his name at the very beginning. We put our name at the end of a letter. It makes more sense to put it at the beginning of a letter. When you ain't got to see who wrote it, you know exactly who wrote it from the beginning. He's the apostle to the churches, verse number 1. Tells us Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he is an apostle. Apostolic authority, God had given them that. There are no apostles in these days, but there still is apostolic authority, and it comes through the pages of the Word of God to us. Biblical authority. I may mention more of that maybe later as we go along. But of course, Timothy here is the recipient. We see that in verse number 2. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. I don't have time to do a whole background study on Timothy, but you could go to Acts 16 and learn a few things about him. Maybe jot that down and do that on your own time. But he was a young man from Lystra. He had a tremendous testimony in the community. Probably was saved during Paul's first missionary journey through uh, that area. And he grew in the Lord and, 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 and had a good testimony among those in his community. He had a zeal for God. He wanted to serve God. And so when Paul came back through, it was natural for him to yoke up with Paul and Paul became a father figure in his life. In fact, Timothy's father relationship may not have been the best in the world. Paul recognizes and reminds Timothy in, in 2 Timothy of his mother and his grandmother and their faith and the spiritual influence that his mother's had on his life, but nothing said about his father. Acts 16 tells us that his father was a Gentile, his mother was a Jew, had a heritage of, of Jehovah God and knew God, but his father... So, so we probably can put these things together and, and think about where Timothy had a mom that loved God, but a father that didn't. And Paul come into his life, and Paul began to be a, a father in the faith to Timothy. We don't know for sure if Paul was the one that led him to the Lord, probably so because of that phrase, but we know for sure that Paul was the one that took him in under his wing and began to train him in the faith. And so when we read this epistle, and even 2 Timothy as well, when we read these epistles, we got to view it through certain perspectives. We can start with the macro and kind of work our way down. When we look at this letter, of course, as any other, uh, as any other 
inspired Word of God. This is the Holy Spirit talking to all believers. This is God talking to you. He's speaking to us. This is the apostle speaking to a pastor, the church at Ephesus. That's where Timothy was. That's where he was ministering at this time when he received this letter. And so this is the apostle speaking to the pastor of the church at Ephesus. This is a mentor speaking to his protege, if you will, to his to his tra- uh, trainee. This is a trainer speaking to his trainee. This is a, 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 a somebody that is speaking to somebody they are training in the faith, but also on a more intimate level. And this is what I want to get to, and this is what I really want to focus on this morning. This is a father speaking to his son. Even in the introduction, there are things that that remind us and things that encourage us of a father with his son. And it's through that personal lens I want to examine these first two verses together this morning. And my prayer is that God would help us men to be godly fathers in the faith. A father in the faith. I know I understand what that implies. It implies that Paul was probably the one preaching when he got saved, led him to the Lord, training him in the ways of the Lord. But I'm going to tell you what, just because you're a father in the flesh don't mean you cannot be a father in the faith as well. In fact, I think we need more fathers in the flesh to be fathers in the faith. What I mean by that is they're your earthly children. They're yours by DNA, but they ought to be yours spiritually as well. We ought to be the ones, fathers ought to be the main ones in their children's life, raising them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It's okay for your kids to have other godly examples. They need that. They ought to have those things. But listen, we should strive to be the greatest spiritual leader in our children's lives. And so I see three things about a father in the faith in this text, and I want to give them to you quickly this morning. Number one, let me say this, that a father in the faith, first of all, he exemplifies a submitted life. He exemplifies a submitted life. I want you to notice verse number one again. Paul is giving his credentials, and he does that many times to, to, to put apostolic authority on what he's saying. He's not puffing himself up. He's not building himself up. He's, he, what he's trying to do is say, hey, this is authoritative. This is from God. I am the apostle of Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice what he says when he's given these credentials. And it's amazing to me that Paul, in a personal letter, would give these credentials. Don't you think that... Timothy already knew who Paul was. Obviously, he knew. I mean, he's reading the letter. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul, I know who you are. I mean, we're very close. We're very intimate. I know exactly who you are. Why are you giving me these credentials? It's because Paul wanted Timothy to still know who was in charge. Amen. You ever let your kids know who's in charge? Amen. Sometimes you just got to put your foot down and say, Hey, I'm daddy. I make the rules. We're going to do what daddy says around this house. Can I get a witness right there? Your wives let you say that? Your wives let you say stuff like that? I hope so. It's important. It's important for Timothy to know who was in charge. But I want you to notice there's more to Paul's credentials than just an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm interested in this phrase in verse number 1 where he says, By the commandment of God. His apostleship is by the commandment of God. What he's saying here is this, is that he is in obedience to the command that God put on his life. He is doing what he is doing because he has submitted his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't something he decided for himself. He's not doing his own thing. He is in submission. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 1, he said he is an apostle by the will 
will of God. And so He is by the commandment of God. God told me what to do. Jesus told me what to do. And I am doing it. God told me what... This is the will of God for my life. And I am fulfilling it. This is the command that God placed in on my life. And I want you to note this. Please don't miss this. Paul was not only a man that was in authority, but Paul was a man who was under authority. And I'm going to tell you something, that is extremely important in the day and hour in which we live. There's a lot of men, they like to go around and put their thumbs on their suspenders and talk about how they are in authority. But I want to tell you what a great daddy really is. I want to tell you what a great man really is. It's somebody that can be under authority. It's somebody that is not just in charge and wants everybody to know it. It is somebody that is in love with the Lord and wants everybody to know that about his life. Can I tell you, the best thing that our children could know about us is not that we are in charge of them, but that he is in charge of us. That is the best thing our kids could ever know. It's that we are what we are by the command of God. We are living our lives in submission to the will of God. And I'm going to tell you something. The reason we got a bunch of rebellious kids is because we got a bunch of rebellious dads. Amen. Amen. And I know they're sinners when they come out of the womb, but they live in our homes and we are influencing them and we can cuss and curse about this generation if we want to, but the problem is is that they're raised in our homes and they go to our churches. Amen. And that's exactly right. And judgment, hey, it, it might as well begin at the house of God if it's going to begin anywhere. And it might as well begin at the home. Amen. If it's going to begin anywhere. And the reason we have a lot of rebellious kids is because we got some rebellious dads. The greatest gift you could ever give your children is to be a daddy that is submitted to the will of God. Quit being rebellious, dad. Quit being out. Are you in the will of God? Are you doing the will of God? Are you following the commands of God? Are you submitted? Are you a surrendered man? How in the world can we expect our children to be surrendered to God when we're not surrendered to God? God. Isn't that the height of hypocrisy when we expect our children to be submitted to a God that we won't even submit our own self to? Amen. I told you it's a little rough this morning. Amen. In fact, it's hypocrisy for us to expect our children to submit to us when we're not submitted to our authority. You're a hypocrite, sir. Amen. You tell your kids that they ought to listen to you and do what you have to say, but you don't even acknowledge the authority that's over your life. Amen. It's hypocrisy. Amen. I preached on hell on Mother's Day. Some of you daddies wishing I'd just preach on that again. Amen. But man, we need it, don't we? First and foremost, he exemplified a submitted life. He was the example. He was the pattern for his children. That's why Paul could say, follow me as I follow Christ. You can submit because I am submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. God, help us not to ignore the authority over our lives. And I know, Daddy, you're in charge of the house. And I know you're this and you're that. But can I tell you something, Dad? Listen, you are a follower, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And them little eyes are watching you. 
I mean, how hypocritical is it for us to... I mean, when our, when our children get out of line, I mean, we, we yell at them, we scream at them, we holler at them, we try to get them, what are you thinking? I'm in charge. And, what am I, and then we live our lives like we don't have any authority over us. God, help us. Amen. He said, there's a command of God on my life. There is a will that God has for my life. I don't just do my own thing. I don't just live my own life. I am submitted to the will of God. Amen. Amen. I think our children have the right to expect mom and daddy to be submitted to God. I believe that. A father in the faith is one who is leading the way in submission to God. That's the best daddy a child could ever have. Not a rich one, not a strong one, not a talented one, not a generous one, a submitted daddy. Submitted to God. That's the best dad a child could ever have. A father in the faith. Somebody submitted to God. Not only does he exemplify a submitted life, but secondly, let me say this. A father in the faith, he explains a saved life. He explains what it means to be saved. Look at what he says. This is amazing to me in verse number 1. He goes on to say, The commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Paul tells Timothy that Jesus is our God. There's a reference to the deity of Christ in here. It's a God and our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. This is actually telling us that Jesus Christ is God. He is deity. He is God. And so he's giving a little, he's giving a little theology lesson on Jesus. He's God. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our hope. You see all those, those words describing Jesus in verse number 1? He's our God. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our hope. Again, doesn't Timothy know all of these things? Timothy is whoever. He's the pastor of a church. He's somebody that Paul trusts to proclaim the gospel message in Ephesus and oversee the work of God in Ephesus, the gospel ministry in Ephesus. Of course, Timothy knows these things. But what is the reason? Well, Paul, being a good father in the faith, he never ceases to remind his children about who Jesus is. And can I tell you something about a father in the faith? He is always pointing his children to Jesus Christ. He's always pointing his finger at Jesus, and that is the best thing. That's the greatest thing you'll ever do for your children. That's the greatest thing you'll ever do for the next generation is to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell them that He is the Savior. Tell them He is God. Tell them He is Lord. Tell them He's our only hope. I'm going to tell you something, Daddy. You don't have to be God in their life. You don't have to be Lord of their life. You don't have to be the Savior of their life. And you don't have to be the hope of their life. There's a lot of daddies stressed out about to pull all their hair out because they're trying to be their kid's Savior. And they're trying to be their kid's God. And they're trying to be their kid's hope. Listen, you don't have shoulders big enough to carry that responsibility. I tell you, the best thing you'll do, Daddy, it'll take a load off you as well, is quit trying to be all those things and point them to the one who is those things. 
The greatest thing you can do is take your child and take Jesus and put them together and let them know and remind them and explain to them and preach to them and teach to them who Jesus is. That you may not always be there, but He'll always be there. That you may not can handle all of their problems, but He can always handle their problems. You can't take them to heaven, but He can take them to heaven. You didn't die for their sins, but He died for their sins. Listen, Daddy, there, there's a feeling of insufficiency. I know plagues and haunts every father in here, but that is okay. Let that insufficiency drive you to Calvary and let, him, let it drive us to the Lord Jesus Christ and let us show our kids, I'm not, but He is. and He will be everything to you. I'll disappoint you. I'll let you down. I can't be a, I can't bat a thousand. I can't always do right. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to do a lot of things. But Jesus never fails. Amen. Explain what it means to be saved. It's a sad thought to think that there's a lot of daddies, they'll, they'll teach their kids about everything. Listen, if if you want to teach them how to hit a ball, that's great. In fact, I recommend it. I think it's wonderful. Teach them how to shoot a basketball. Teach them how to, how to, how to uh, kill a deer and clean it and gut it and, you know, all them things. Teach them how to do all that stuff. Teach them how to put camouflage on and paint their face and then put a bright orange vest on, you know. I never understand these things. Teach them how to take a big metal stick and, and hit a little white ball and then go chase it around. The, whatever you want to do, that's fine. Ain't nothing wrong with that stuff. Teach them how to, how to, how to change a flat tire and change oil and, and, and balance a checkbook and all that kind of... All that's great. These are good things. Teach them these things. But man, if we teach them everything else and we fail to explain to them who Jesus is, we failed. You're a failure. That is it right there. You're not a failure if you're broke. You're not a failure if you fail. You're a failure if you don't tell them who Jesus is. Explain to them a say. Because you know, we're living in a hopeless world. We're living in a wicked world. And our children better hear us talk about the only one who can be their hope. And that's I love how he called, he says, Jesus Christ, which is our hope. And I love how he uses that word our. It's always our, our Savior and our hope and our Lord and our Father. So Paul said, I'm right here in this with you. He, I need him just as much as you need him. We need him together need Him together. Amen. This is a hopeless world. This is a crazy world. And if we teach our kids to put their hope in money and in a job and in a talent and in a hobby, if we teach our kids to put all their hope in those things, we are setting our children up to be severely disappointed and disfigured by this world. You teach them that the only hope in this life is the Lord Jesus Christ. You teach your kids that He is the only hope. Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Not just in death, but in life as well. He's our hope. What does a father in the faith do? He exemplifies a submitted life. He explains a saved life. What it means to be saved. How to be saved. How to live a saved life. But thirdly, and I'll be done, He expresses a spiritual life. He expresses a spiritual life. Look at verse number 2. It said, Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, 
mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this looks like a standard greeting that Paul would give in any of his letters, and grace, and peace. But I want you to think about what Paul's doing here. I've never really zoomed out and really thought about these, uh, these openings quite like this, these salutations quite like this, but I believe, I believe it's something that helped me. I want you to zoom out and think about this. Paul is extending to Timothy. He's expressing to Timothy something that he cannot give necessarily. Grace, mercy, peace. The kind that comes from God, it's not his to give necessarily. It doesn't come from his own self, let's put it that way. He's giving to Timothy something that only comes and truly comes from God. And I thought about how a real father in the faith, if you want to be a father in the faith to your children, what we can do is we can give to our children what God has given to us. And the best fathers are those that have a spiritual walk with God and a walk with God where we are able to give our kids what God is giving to us. And that love of God, that grace, that mercy, that peace, it flows into our life and it flows out of our life and it flows into the life of our children. A real father in the faith gives to his children what God has given him. A real father in the faith, he has such a spiritual walk and a spiritual life that he treats his children in the manner in which God has treated him. And that is the pattern. That is the source. It is God working through Him, blessing His children in this way. And a father in the faith treats his children the way that God has treated him. The reason Paul could extend grace and mercy and peace is because Paul knew what it was to have the grace of God working in his life and the mercy of God working in his life and the peace of God working in his life. And a father in the faith will treat his children with grace and treat his children with mercy and treat his children with peace because that's the way that he experienced experiences God in his own life. That's the way God treats him. And so it flows out of him and it flows into his children. That grace, that is a gift. That is giving him what they need. That is enabling them. Mercy, that is forgiveness. That is patience. That is compassion. Uh, That peace, that's a harmony of life. Oh man, our kids need peace in these days. Man, there's such a crazy world and a wicked world. Man, God help our fathers to be a source and a conduit of the peace of God in our children's life. But if it ain't flowing through you, you can't extend it to your children. I want, to be, I want to be a means by which my children experience the grace of God and the mercy of God and the peace of God. I want that to flow through me. But Daddy, when you cut your spiritual life off, when you do not have a walk with God, you're trying to give your kids what only comes out of you. And we know in this flesh dwelleth no good thing. But when we connect to Him... We're able to give our kids what He's given to us. That's why Paul could officially say, I'm extending these things. I'm expressing these things to you, but they don't come from me. Who do you say they come from? From God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. You cannot express what you have not first experienced 
in your own life. And so that's the question for the dads. Do you have a spiritual life? Are you walking with God? If you, those things aren't flowing out of your life, it's probably because you haven't been with God and been allowing those things to flow into your life. Amen. Our kids need gracious fathers. Our kids need merciful fathers. Our kids need peace-loving and peace-keeping and peace-making fathers. So how do you know that? Because that's the kind of father this father needs. I'm glad I have a gracious father. I'm glad I have a merciful father. I'm glad I have a peace-giving father. But if I stay too long from him, I can't exemplify those things and express those things to my children as well. The reason Paul could give it is because he was familiar with it. And it come from God through Paul to his son in the faith. Timothy, a real father in the faith. Miss Maddie, I want you to come around to the piano, and as she's coming around, I'm asking you that question today. Are you a father in the faith to your children? Do you want to be? And this is to all in here, because everybody has somebody that's watching them, counting on them, depending on them, I mean, we better lead them in the right way. You say, well, my kids are grown. i got grandkids. They need a grandfather in the faith. Amen. And you say, I don't have any of those things. Somebody's watching you. Somebody's depending on you. Are you leading them in the right direction? Are you submitted to God? Are you teaching the right things about the Lord? Are you pointing people to Jesus? And do you have a walk with God? Are these things flowing out of your life? I tell you, it'd be amazing what would happen in our nation and what would happen even in our church if we just had a revival of biblical, spiritual fatherhood. Did you know most of the junk that's going on in our world today, it can be traced back to fatherless homes? We had a rebellious movement against the Word of God come through decades ago feminism, I don't need no man, my kids don't need no man, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to tell you something. Children need a daddy. God put this thing together just like, and I know if you weren't raised one, or, you, or I'm not throwing off on anybody that, listen, we live in a wicked world and not everything happens the way it ought to happen. I understand, this isn't to make anybody feel guilty. All I'm saying is this is the way that God put this thing together. And fathers, if you're in a home and you have children and, and you're that, listen, you need to be that godly man in the home stand up for God quit sitting around sitting back throwing your recliner back and letting the kids just run the house letting anything go we need some daddies that will stand up and say hey I love God and I'm going to follow him and family I want you to follow me as I follow God amen let's stand together all over the building